0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Paramount Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Really great to be with you all again, and uh, I'm excited to welcome a new guest to the show, um, uh, Sarah Kimball. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, James. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, Sarah and I met on Twitter, as seems to be the case <laughs> with a lot of guests, and um, and um, we're gonna we're gonna be um, we're gonna have a very interesting conversation today because um, people who listen to this show really will know that um, I love to talk about movies and TV shows and kind of the philosophical stuff and deconstruction stuff and stuff around grief and trauma and all of those kind of things that we find in those in those movies um, because it relates to what we talk about on this show quite a lot. Um, And um, today, we're going to kind of talk, we're going to talk about a a very famous story, which has been in multiple movies and TV shows, (laughs) um, um, as well as obviously a very famous book, um, Pride and Prejudice, and
1: uh,
0: Jane Austen's um, 1813 uh, book, um, and yeah um we're going to talk about it in the context of uh, a few things which are related to things of this podcast um including um um mental health um autism in particular um as well as kind of patriarchal um, structures of society and um Kind of escaping toxic systems and and you know a lot of the things that we cover on the show, and probably some other things so um, <laughs> and Sarah is yeah. uh, has agreed to um, join me in this conversation and it's going to be really really interesting um so uh, yes yeah, Sarah, what's kind of your first experience of pride and prejudice what was what's been your experience of this of this story this book this everything that's been <laughs>
1: Yeah, I um, grew up watching the BBC version. Uh, It's a television series. I'm actually remembering um, it was one of the first DVDs that my parents owned. I remember them purchasing our first DVD player in the early 2000s. And we um, purchased two DVDs. (laughs) Initially, we bought Pride and Prejudice and Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> and <Wow. laughs> uh, Pride and Prejudice has just been <laughs> a go-to. Um, I don't know why that's so burned into my brain, but um, it's been one of those stories I've returned to over and over. Um, I am probably most familiar with the BBC version, but I also have um, an enjoyment of the uh, the Oh, I don't remember when the movie came out, but the movie with Kieran Knightley and Matthew McFadden um, has some stunning visuals and the score is incredible. Um, and I just have a great love for the story overall. Um, I I was that 12 year old girl who wanted to find her, Mr. Darcy. And um, I loved the relationships and the romance aspect of it all. And um I'm really interested to look at the story and its characters, especially Mr. Darcy, from a mental health standpoint. I have multiple neurodiverse people in my life. I have a son with ADHD and a brother with ADHD and uh, some dear friends who all deal with a mix of ptsd anxiety autism and a few other things so (laughs) yeah uh, i think it was really interesting to look at the characters from that mental health standpoint and um, kind of interesting to see what i noticed um looking back at that so yeah
0: yeah i mean yeah that's i was only really i only really kind of tweaked this this dimension to the story recently, and like because I'm, I'm autistic and I have ADHD, and you know, it, it just I think I was just talking about autism a lot on Twitter, and it just occurred to me, um, what if, uh, uh I think I was talking about Pride and Prejudice for some reason, and it just kind of came up, and I was like, oh my god, yeah, of course, that makes so much sense, like, of course, yeah, and. Yeah, probably means that Jane Austen, the men that some of the men, maybe some of the men that she knew were autistic, and that was her impression of what men were like. You know, it was it just, and once you saw it, I couldn't unsee it. It was, it was, getting, <laughs> um, it, was it was like a, it just changed the whole story for me. When I watched it again afterwards, it was like a whole different story. Uh, my my mm-hmm. first experience of Pranaphysis was the book, um, and I missed the TV show because I was at university at the time, and we didn't have a TV. We didn't have TV. I, I, I was too probably too busy to watch TV anyway at the time, and um, <laughs> I did see the 2005 movie, um, and I absolutely loved it. I still love it. Uh, I still watch it quite often. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 really incredible. Um, and yeah, I mean, this whole idea of this whole perspective on mental health and I think the character to focus on first with that is kind of obvious really, but Mr. Darcy. um, Yeah. Mr. Darcy is, especially, I mean, I'll talk about it in the context of the movie because a lot of people will probably have seen the movie. um, And from a visual perspective, it probably helps to kind of visualize it. Um, um, So in the movie, there's that scene. of the first dance, isn't there? When the when all the, mm-hmm. the sisters go to this this dance, Mister Darcy is there. <laughs> he's just <standing> there, <laughs> like like he's kind of disconnected from everything. He doesn't like everyone when he arrives. Everyone just stops, and then he walks up, <laughs> stands at the back, and just which is terrifying
1: for someone with social anxiety. That's just
0: that's awful. <laughs> I know, right? Like, yeah, he was, yeah, and. It's it's like almost he doesn't know how to act around people, um, so he deliberately stands away from them. Um, <laughs> because at first it looks like he's just this typical British. Uh, we'll get on this to this topic later, but this typical British upper class guy who just thinks he's above he's stoic, yeah.
1: right?
0: Yeah, and but actually, as you get to know the character, you realise he's not like that at all. So this mm-hmm. kind of distance that he is creating is actually more to do with him. And like you say, social anxiety and autism, like not knowing how to interact socially, not knowing how he comes across, right? That that moment when he talks about Elizabeth, and doesn't realize that she's there and makes that comment about her. Um And doesn't seem to <laughs> like realize- no awareness come-
1: that someone could be overhearing this. Like he's in a room full of people in a small town that probably know her. So this is probably gonna get back to her one way or another. And turns yeah, out she's got- right there. Yeah, he's got no
0: awareness of it. And he just he just just says this thing about, I can't-. he's like, she's um, barely tolerable. That's what he says, she's barely tolerable. <laughs> <laughs> she's tolerable and and (laughs) it doesn't seem to realize what you know how this comes across or that she could hear it or that it would get back to her or any of that it just it's just and um yeah it's just wait again it's one of those things that when you look back it's really obvious like Mm -hmm. um what was your kind of take on that and on darcy I,
1: i think that scene that you mentioned is, uh, definitely one that stands out to me. And I think about how in that dance, you know, it's, it's a country dance. He's used to being in town and with people who are a bit more upper middle class or upper class. And this group, this room that he's in is full of people who are more like middle class, maybe a few, like, he's now at the, the top of the, the social structure in the room. And maybe he's not used to that. And that might also be why he's so uncomfortable and also why he would be hesitant to like dance with someone besides Mr. Bingley's sisters. I, that's one of the, the comments that, that he makes um, that, you know, I would, I would dance with uh, your sister, Ms., you know, one of the Miss Bingley's, but I, I don't really want to dance with anyone else in the room because there was this expectation at a dance that you weren't just dancing, but you had to make polite conversation and making small talk with someone from a different societal level from you with whom you would have very little in common would be really intimidating and probably very scary for an autistic person.
0: Yeah, and he deliberately doesn't get involved in it. Um, Mm -hmm. Very deliberately stays away and um, and that's really interesting because later on, there's another dance, and Elizabeth dances with him. Uh, I can't who, who is it that asks to dance. I can't remember which one of them asks the other one. Um, um
1: he asks her, I believe. He asks her,
0: right? Yeah, and no, that's interesting <laughs> because he must know that that's going to be really difficult for him. And he doesn't really like engaging people on a social level, right?
1: Um, she even makes a comment to him during their first time dancing together. She's like, well, what are we going to talk about? And he's like, do we have to talk while we're dancing?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's kind of that point. It's kind of he knows, he knows he's got feelings for her or whatever. He, he's mm-hmm. interested in that, which is why he asked her to dance, right? So he's kind of, he almost goes like, oh, this is what you're meant to do. These are the rules of how you're meant to act when you like a woman, right? So I'm just going to do them and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, oh, do I have to talk? I thought I just had to, like, you can see it's almost like he, he, he he's trying to follow a set of rules, which is what autistic people do. They get rules about how things work yeah. in their head. And they just like, okay, so if I was to do that, then I should do that. And then that will happen. And it's almost oh, like he's doing that, but he's covering this up with, this kind of air of being a, a rich upper class man and respected mm-hmm. and so he comes across like he's completely confident and dignified and everything but it's not really like that when you look and listen to the conversation he's not really like that mm-hmm. he's actually being quite vulnerable because he's putting himself in a situation he's probably not quite comfortable with because he wants to dance with Elizabeth um mm-hmm. and That's really interesting, the contrast between those two dances.
1: And I think about the difference in the relationships, you know, the way that the people in Meryton perceive him is that he's proud, he's rude, he's above everyone else. But when Lizzie visits Pemberley and she interacts with the housekeeper and sees him interact with Georgiana, you see this warmth, this connection. Everyone loves him. The tenants you know, are so appreciative of him. You see this whole other side of him because he's, he's in his own place. He's in his element. He's, he's master of that house. He has control. He has established relationships and he's comfortable. And that's where Elizabeth gets to see that side of him that she hasn't seen before.
0: Mm, I was gonna mention that scene. Because you're right. There's a moment where he, where she sees, um, and again, I'm referring to the scene in the movie that, because mm-hmm. um, it communicates it quite well, that where Elizabeth goes into the room and catches Mister um, Darcy with um, Georgiana, and she's on the piano, and he's really kind of just relaxed and smiling, and they're having like they're having fun together, and they're being vulnerable with each other because yeah. brother and sister. You know, in their safe place, in their in their house, hidden away from everybody, um, mm-hmm. and you, that's when you kind of that's the kind of the tell of Mister Darcy of like, oh, he's not actually this person that everyone makes out he is. That's just masking, which is again an autistic thing. Yeah, um, and he, that's that's the real Mister Darcy. <laughs> um, and the th- and it's, what's interesting is as soon as he sees her. He goes outside to talk to her and he's, the mask is up again, right? He's not, he's, he, he, you can tell. Like it's... Um,
1: he's trying to make polite conversation <laughs> and it's just, it's not going well.
0: <laughs> no, and it's, yeah, it is fascinating, isn't it? The more you look at it, the more you can see it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also I notice um, once once Elizabeth learns about Lydia's elopement with Mr. Wickham in that scene where she's, she's learned what has happened and she, she's in tears. She's very upset. She shares it with Darcy and he just makes a quick exit. Like he doesn't really comment a whole lot or anything. And she's convinced that he's, like doesn't want anything to do with her. Doesn't want anything to do with the scandal. Nothing. When really he just doesn't explain himself. He just leaves and immediately gets to work and finding Wickham and making him marry Lydia. Um, but that strikes me as something um, as well. What do you think of that?
0: Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like he's got in his head what. How can this be fixed? Like, what are the what are the steps that I need to follow to make this fixed? And
1: but he doesn't tell that to her or to, he the tell to her. <laughs> That's
0: it. He's just like he's so wrapped up in it himself. He doesn't communicate to her. He just goes off and does it. Um, and um, which again, you're right. It's a very autistic thing. He doesn't think about how he's coming across to anybody else. It's just he's so wrapped up in what he feels he has to do. And what he feels needs to be done, mm-hmm. and on like following that task list almost but um, <laughs> mm-hmm. he that he just disappears, yeah, um, and uh, and he doesn't he doesn't communicate to Elizabeth very well through a lot of the movie.
1: He doesn't uh, communicate to
0: her at all <laughs> um, um, like he doesn't like he doesn't um he doesn't explain to her why. Uh, he doesn't like Mr Wickham or what happened he's just he doesn't and he doesn't he doesn't pick up on when um, Elizabeth is kind of defending him and why he's defending him and then try to explain it he kind of just it's almost like he assumes that well she she must know this about him Uh, or I don't have to explain (laughs) this to her Yeah, um, like he doesn't get that he needs to explain it to her at first. Mm -hmm. Um, It's only later that he that he realizes that he that he has to. Um, And
1: later, when he explains it to her, he writes this many pages long letter. It is in depth. It has every detail. It names names. It has everything in it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Again, (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's it's really fascinating how that relationship is based around, um, is kind of influenced by his, his behaviour, his autistic behaviour. And Mm -hmm. um, it's very, very evident. Um, um, Elizabeth is an interesting character as well, because she, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I don't, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't think she is She's not autistic, but um, she's very, I don't know, she's quite, they're both quite proud. That's why it's called Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) Pride and Prejudice is on both sides. Um, Mm -hmm. But she seems to be more willing to listen to Darcy. Mm. I think it's because she gets to see him. In that scene we talked about um, with Georgiana, she gets to see him as himself. Mm -hmm. That might be, that's kind of almost like the moment where it kind of shifts for her. But she's then too proud to (laughs) to
1: admit it. I think she has a conversation with Jane. Yeah, she has a conversation with Jane where she's, she's told Jane that she and Darcy are engaged. And Jane asks, well, when when did this happen? You, you've always despised him. What, what is going on? And Lizzie points to that moment at Pemberley. She's like, you know, I think things changed at Pemberley, which the joke there, I, I think is that Pemberley is this huge, gorgeous house. And now of course she's fallen in love with him because he has this huge, gorgeous house, but it's really more about that moment um seeing him and Georgiana together I think
0: Mm. yeah what things do you notice about well Darcy and Elizabeth that would point to things to any kind of mental health um condition I I think
1: I can't think of any specifically about Elizabeth at the moment um but I'm, I'm thinking about Mrs. Bennett and how we see um, some elements of like a general anxiety disorder um, and some very strongly fluctuating moods, perhaps some tendencies for um, like bipolar, um, though the name for that has changed now and it's slipping my mind. <laughs> um, but I see her mental health. And seeing how her mental health struggles impact the rest of the household, and how many times you know she's going through a difficult time, she's struggling, and you know it's the whole household is kind of like circling around her, trying to send her her and um, help her feel better. But I'm not quite sure they know how to help her or how to give her the care that she needs in order to come out of that bad mental space. Mm. And I think for her, it might be a bit of self-protection because I think they they talk about this more in the book, but she she married up in her family. She wasn't a gentleman's daughter. She was a, a tradesperson's daughter. So her marrying Mr. Bennett was a step up and she had intended to have sons, not five daughters. So she's been this woman who's been seeking for security, you know, going from being a tradesman's daughter to a gentleman's wife. But now she has five daughters, so the estate is going to be entailed away from the family. So she's reliant upon her daughters marrying well and having the favor of Mr. Collins, who's eventually going to inherit the Bennett estate and everything. So I think a lot of her mental health struggles center around that need for security that her life just hasn't ever had.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely an element of anxiety in in, um, in Mrs Bennett. And um, yeah, it's almost like she, and it, I mean, you can see that she's, she's worried about her daughters. <laughs> she wants them mm-hmm. to be secure and safe and protected. And um, she believes the only way to do that is get married um mm-hmm. and uh yeah uh and that probably comes from her own background like you say right because um that was how she found it so yeah that this kind of that moment where where um where elizabeth turns down um uh mr
1: collins, <laughs> mr. collins <It's>, yes uh, so <laughs> it's it's just
0: just she just yeah, you know, honestly, I mean, it's funny to when you read it or watch it, but but actually, <laughs> she's having con- probably having a kind of massive anxiety attack. It's like, I like you have a chance for security and you turned it down. How can you do that? Like, I think she calls him a spoil, some, spoil or something at that moment, or something like that. She uses terminology like that. Um, I, she I think believe. she
1: makes the like assertion that your father spoils you. Or something like that <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely yeah um and actually mr and actually her father says um says that he will that you know that you, that you will never see me again if, if you marry him um he didn't <laughs> want her to marry him um uh, he's she's very, elizabeth is very much her father's daughter um actually mm-hmm. um but that's the thing about elizabeth is that she's not and i was going to come to this um is that she's not willing to just submit to societal norms. She's not just going to get married for security. She's not just going to get married because people expect her to or tell her to or, um, or because society tells her to. She's going to do it on her, on her own terms, uh, if she does it at all. Um, and that's, in terms of the context of the time that it's set, that's very countercultural um Mm -hmm. if she's almost she's essentially seizing her own power um and of course this is a very patriarchal society at the time um Mm -hmm. you know men um make all the money um women (laughs) that much independence and that much power Mm -hmm. and um and to not get married is dangerous for your financial security so um uh, because I mean, we see we see that we see that um, Mr. Collins eventually married one of one of Elizabeth's friends, and one of the reasons is, is that I'm, you know I'm 27, I've got no prospects, I've got no money, uh, mm-hmm. I'm a burden to my parents. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of those realities that um, uh, and Elizabeth is kind of saying, look, I I don't mind accepting those realities. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I would rather have that than be forced into something that I don't want to do. Um, Yeah. quite powerful.
1: And I think Elizabeth's drawing on her own experience in that she's seen how mismatched her own parents were. And even though their marriage had financial and practical security, there wasn't a great deal of affection or even friendship between the two. Uh, of her parents. And I think Elizabeth wants something different for herself and that leads her to act differently than, than she would have otherwise. And I, I'm glad you brought up Charlotte because I think she's a, a great contrast to Lizzie in what motivates her and what she's looking for in a partner. Elizabeth is looking for someone who can, can match her, who can be this long-term friend and companion for life she doesn't just want financial security and she's willing to give that up in in searching for um, her real thing but charlotte has has different motives and you see that she's she's older than elizabeth she's 27 i think in the story elizabeth is 20 i think if i remember correctly mm-hmm. So Charlotte's a bit older, and you know she her her situation's different. She she doesn't have any other men courting her. Um, I think in the book they mention that she has she she's rather plain, um, and I think she only has a modest dowry if she has one at all, which that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And so she's very happy to marry Mr. Collins and I think about this conversation between her and Elizabeth when Elizabeth goes to visit her after she's been married and Charlotte is talking about how she has his study set up for him and she encourages him to be out in the garden and she encourages him to go visit Lady Catherine she basically encourages Mr. Collins to be anywhere but be being with her (laughs) And so for her, she has this perfect setup of having the house to herself, having financial security, um, managing the servants and the running of the household. And she just encourages him to get out of the way. And that's her ideal situation.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like when she gets, yeah. It's like when she gets her own household, it's kind of this joy for her that she gets to run a household uh, and yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, she, you know, she's content, you know. Um, yeah. I guess it's, I mean, in terms of a metaphor for what some of the things that, you know, kind of, you know, your personal journey and deconstruction or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. it's one person is choosing certainty and one person is choosing uh, to leave certainty behind and take a risk, as in... I won't just fit into the system. I won't just do what the system tells me. Um, I will live outside of that and I will choose my <laughs> own path, even if that is more risky. Um, and whereas, uh, like you say, Charlotte chooses the path of certainty, which doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily damaging or harmful to her, but yeah, it's just not, she doesn't, there's no, she's, not fully alive she's just she's content
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and uh there is, and you're de- there's definitely a contrast between those two characters for sure um and uh yeah unfortunately mm-hmm. Elizabeth does find her path so she doesn't see it at first um she misreads she kind of misread Mr Darcy at first Probably because and this goes back <laughs> yeah. to Mr. Darcy again, him being autistic, he doesn't of course he didn't people didn't know what autism was then. It wasn't a it wasn't no. a diagnosis. So it just came across as, you know, kind of being cold and stubborn and rude and you know. Um and so she gets that impression. Um, um uh, yeah, and it's only when she sees behind the veil like we like
1: we talked about. Um um, one of, one the, of the thing. go ahead. So one of the things I wondered about Darcy and uh, the behavior that we see in him, his, his autistic behavior, because he's wealthy, gets labeled as being proud, um, you know, perhaps considering himself above others and rude. But what if Darcy hadn't been wealthy what if he had been poor what if he had been a farmer or an apprentice would he have been labeled differently would he have been labeled as awkward or bungling or shy without having the privilege of wealth do, do you think that would change people's perception of yeah that? it
0: would I think it would it would have been a very different a very different scenario um yeah um because he had certain social advantages in terms of his status and his wealth, um, which allowed him to encounter people and form connections without having to be sociable and without having to be mm-hmm. extroverted or you know and um, and build relationships with people. Um, yeah, and it's really interesting actually because it's, i talked about Iron Man um, and Tony Stark being autistic and he's Mm. he's like a he's he's rich he's born into wealth right Mm -hmm. and he he doesn't need to have healthy relationships he doesn't need to build relationships he can just hide away in his like almost like his cave underneath underneath his mansion and just make stuff and be away Mm -hmm. from the world and then he goes out into the world and he masks up and just can behave how he likes because <laughs> he doesn't. There's nothing at stake, you know. He doesn't. Yeah. He's not losing, He's not risking anything because he's got the financial security and the status. And it's um, obviously different characters, but um, but um, actually, when you see again, when you see Tony start to be vulnerable, he's quite mm-hmm. quiet as well. Like when he's on his own or when he's just with. Close to him, he doesn't talk quite as much. You know, um, <laughs> he's, he's, you know when he's vulnerable, he's not. He's not the confident, cocky, you know, guy that um, the guy that makes quips. You know, all the time. Um, and that kind of kind of that that kind of quippy nature, that the, the kind of jokes and the, you know the kind of whatever is the charm. Is all is is part of the masking. Um, and <laughs> it's yeah um and again you see a very different tony stark when he's one-to-one with pepper pots than, than when he's you know just out there in the world um and yeah it's a kind of because in, in the sense that they're both wealthy autistic people um <laughs> there's, there's a lot of similarities there um, yeah it's really interesting um but now i was going to mention the scene the proposal scene mm um yeah. in the rain you know um the, it's um um when he runs even he, when, when she hides from the rain in this <laughs> and this isn't this is a famous scene in the movie when he hides underneath, underneath this kind of little tower thing i don't know what, it's, what it even is and he kind of catches her <laughs> up and and he just kind of well, he almost kind of blurts out every, like this proposal And he doesn't hold back. He doesn't again. It's not. (laughs) It's not like. It's not like what you would say if you. It's not what. Not. It's not what a neurotypical person would say, because he just talks about like the inferiority of your birth, my rank, and all this kind of like (laughs) these kind of derogatory things about.
1: It's like look, I realize we make no sense, but will you marry me?
0: (laughs) Yeah, like you could have just said that. Yeah. (laughs) you could have just said that you could have said look i know that we i know that we're different i know that we come from different backgrounds i know that other people might look at might look at us and not see us as a proper couple and everything like that and it might not make sense but we but i loved you will you marry me but no he just goes through a whole (laughs) list of he literally goes through a whole list of things as to why they shouldn't be together
1: (laughs) he even makes it a point to say like i have tried to not like you and I still do and <laughs> doesn't realize that's not the compliment he thinks it is. Yeah,
0: and because, again, she wouldn't know he's autistic because that wasn't the thing. No. He just thinks that's just him being rude um, um, <laughs> because it comes across that way. <laughs> because he wouldn't, but he's, <laughs> he probably doesn't realize it's coming across that way. He's just putting no. out what he believes, he's trying to be honest and he's trying to lay out everything and list everything. Um <laughs> giving out giving out his reasoning and then telling her, will he marry me? <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: um poor guy. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. I almost feel sorry for him, you know. It's like um it is not his fault. Um and um
1: yeah. I mean as far um, as we know in the story, he's never been in a romantic relationship before that's all new um he seems to have a small circle of friends and family who he's comfortable with and who know him but um yeah as far as we know he hasn't had any romantic relationships before and he definitely comes across as a novice in his conversations and his proposals
0: absolutely yeah um and yeah uh, and after that he is when he writes the letter
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's almost like he's trying to again but again like you say it's a really long letter and it's like list all these details like it's almost like he's trying to explain himself um <laughs> uh, or like all the things because i don't i think she doesn't she in her response give a list of reasons why she shouldn't and then in the letter, he kind of literally goes through all of those things that she <laughs> goes through objections one by one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it it's just like it's such it's such autistic behavior. Like, so he's literally remembered everything that she has said and literally written a letter which yeah. has gone through all of those points one by one and tried to explain, <laughs> explain it all. Like, um, Oh, my God! It's like and I'm just realizing this now that this is an autistic this is an autistic thing too. um my God, it really is kind of so obvious when you start to realize it um and and then he tries to make it up to her um uh and the only way that he he can think of to do so, which is to again, but again she she tells him that, that he ruined his sister's chances. So he's like, okay, I'm going to fix it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he goes back and tells Bingley the truth. And, um, yeah, I, like he, he lists his why and all of his reasoning, but then goes about trying to fix all of it doesn't clue her in on any of that until it's done. And some of it, she even finds out through other people. Um, yeah that so does seem very very autistic like very good intention, wonderful like his actions ultimately i think are very honorable um but yeah yeah the, you know this this navigating the emotional human side is is new and difficult for him i think yeah and it is it's it's almost
0: honorable to the point of naivety uh, like Um, he just wants, he just wants her to know that he cares about her, um, and he wants to do right by her, and he wants, and all the things, and he wants to make right all the things that he's done to wrong her, Mm -hmm. and that have caused her pain, and people that she loves pain, um, and he kind of does, Um, um, yeah um and then it's like yeah i never wish to be parted from you <laughs> like it's not it's all mm-hmm. or nothing right <laughs> mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah um and even in the movie this is really this is in the movie and it's really an autistic thing as well he when 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 elizabeth goes in and talks to her dad mm. um he's like pacing up and down up like outside (laughs) yes right and he's not talking to his sister so he's not like talking he's not like trying to get to know the sisters and he's just like he's just like pacing up and that's an autistic thing as well like the whole kind of
1: oh yes
0: it's like oh my god yeah it's just yeah my word um
1: I'm thinking back to the movie again, now that you pointed out the pacing. Um, when Elizabeth has received the letter from Jane that Lydia had run away and she's very upset by it, Darcy is like sitting down and standing up and walking and then yeah, walking yeah. back over to the chair and sitting down and standing up. Like he, he cannot sit still, he, he ha- he's moving.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, which again is a,
1: yeah.
0: Um, it's
1: very neurotypical. Uh, Sorry, Uh,
0: neurodivergent.
1: Yeah, neurodivergent. Yeah, there
0: we go. Um, Yeah, ah, it's Mm. when you see it, it's just everywhere, actually. Um, yeah, I refer to the movie really because it's a visual representation of it and you can really see it. Um, and Mm -hmm. uh, and that it makes it easier to see when you watch it than when you read it, I guess. But it, but yeah, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, yeah.
1: What about his relationship to his aunt, Lady Catherine de Berg? I always feel like that was a very interesting dynamic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. And in the movie, it's Judy Dench, who is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of subservient, or like in that she makes the rules, or. Um, I have to follow her she's rule. almost like
1: a, a matriarch to him. Absolutely. Like a,
0: yeah. a stand-in
1: since his his mother is is gone and his father's gone. Um she's one of the few elder family members, maybe the only left in his life. So he has a different relationship to her in that.
0: Yeah, and he and he his choice of well his choice of voice before Elizabeth comes along is essentially decided for him by the family um Mm -hmm. and he just goes along with it because that's how it is um
1: (laughs) yeah he clearly hasn't put a stop to like hey no I'm not going to marry my cousin (laughs) he's just going along
0: yeah um and then Elizabeth comes into his life and and of course he doesn't know really how to deal with that um if he was neurotypical, I would I would think he would know much more easily about what what to do and how to go ahead with it. He would just be a bit he'd be a lot more confident in pursuing her, probably. Mm, yeah. Than 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 he is. Maybe some of the conflict that he has is because he he's always followed his uh his aunt's rules. And this is kind of breaking mm-hmm. those rules. But it's something that he wants. Um, So he's all a a bit of conflict about about that. Yeah, Um, that's a really interesting dynamic. And that scene in the movie between Judy Dench and Keira Knightley is amazing.
1: Absolutely incredible. (laughs) It's typical
0: of Zimbabwe because she doesn't care who she is she doesn't care that she's this rich matriarch (laughs) like um she's like um you have nothing further to say please leave like (laughs) it's just like i don't care
1: she calls out the rude behavior she's like no you may not talk to me like this you can have nothing else to say to me you've insulted me my family my character you can leave
0: (laughs) yeah that's right it's Again, it's subversive, um, which is Elizabeth, which, what we talked about with Elizabeth. She doesn't conform to the rules of the system or society or, you know, patriarchy or anything. She just, it's, um, it, you know, she's just like, this is how, it is. this is how I'm going to stand up for myself. Um, I'm going to stand up for my own, in my own power. Um, you are not going to control my space just because you are richer than me. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to make this my decisions for me um, and yeah um,
1: that's why she's such an enduring heroine in that yeah. you know, she's, she's not conforming to those patriarchal norms and expectations and I, I would say even you know, we see her not conforming by rejecting Mr Collins' proposal by rejecting Darcy's initial proposal Um, but even in her eventually coming around and accepting Darcy ultimately and accepting his proposal and marrying him, I I almost see that as a kind of non-conformance as well, because when she does accept him, it's on her own terms. And, um, even in as much as Darcy speaks with her before speaking with her father, I think that's really interesting as well, that that's not the norm at the time. Um, (laughs) I I think Elizabeth's conversation with her father, where he he tells her, well, yes, I I gave him my blessing. He's the kind of man to whom I wouldn't refuse anything. But Elizabeth had actually refused him (laughs) um, before accepting him, which is just such a different different dynamic and and what you pointed out and that she she doesn't conform to these norms you know she doesn't pander to people who are wealthy just because of their money um and I think that that's part of what makes her such an interesting character and uh, yeah such such a inspiring and yeah amazing heroine you know who we've have been keeping up with for over two hundred years.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that store this story in the these characters is endured for yeah, two hundred years. And um, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen different we've seen modern iterations of it as well, like Bridget Jones yeah. is. Is essentially private president.
1: Yes, <laughs> like it, is, point, it
0: is. It is even to the point that the, the lead male is called Dar- Miss <laughs> Darcy, like it's um, mm-hmm. and played by mm-hmm. Colin Firth. He played yeah. he played Darcy in the TV show. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes um, you'll
1: have to go back and watch that TV show and compare it with his performance in Bridget Jones' Diary, because that is that is the funniest little crossover. That is that is so interesting
0: yeah it, I, I i'm sure that was deliberate as well i'm sure that was deliberate <laughs> um you know because it, when you're playing darcy is and he did it so well in the tv show by all accounts mm-hmm. he absolutely nailed it and and yes. so who else is going to play darcy in a movie
1: <laughs> i mean because the the two male leads end up being him and hugh grant right
0: yeah that's right
1: and Hugh Grant. yeah like those those were the leading British men at the time like that was that was who yeah, I was gonna yeah, be. like there but, was no one else <laughs>
0: yeah and it sounds actually interesting isn't it the comparison because Hugh Gold's character is so much like Mr Wickham effectively isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. um you know yeah. um Bridget Bridget loves at first but then realizes what he did and who he is and um of course, Darcy doesn't tell him, <laughs> doesn't tell her. <laughs> he lets her find out for yep. himself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's again. It's, it's, it's very much a, a similar story, but set in set in the 20th century. Um, century sorry,
1: yeah, um, definitely see that overlap there. Um, are you a Bridgerton fan? Have you watched Bridgerton? On Netflix I haven't, at I haven't all? watched
0: watch Bridgerton yet. No, but I would like to. Okay is
1: it uh i i watched i watched it when it first came out um and the second season um I've, I've watched through as well and i i was reminded of the elizabeth and darcy dynamic by the the plot line of the second season the two main love interests um at their first meeting um the gentleman uh, comes off poorly (laughs) and um, he and uh, the main heroine are just at odds through most of the season. And it's a lot of that like bad first impression comes off wrong, says the wrong thing. um, And then eventually in getting to know each other better, Feelings develop and they end up together by the end, of course. Um, yeah. Now in that one, I don't notice the same neurodivergent behavior in the um, male character, but just that that similar dynamic in the first meeting, not going well, not coming across well, and it taking time for the female character to be willing to see him in a different light. Mm interesting I might have a watch of that um, it was interesting it was interesting yeah. for sure <laughs> um, but it's really
0: good to talk about this and um, yeah. and it, uh, what I, I, what I really love is, is that we're able to see examples of neurodivergent lead characters um, and the struggles that they go through um, mm-hmm represented in fiction, um, in books, in movies, in these enduring characters. And it, you know, for somebody who is um, autistic and, you know, it, it's it, it's it's a very powerful thing because you f- you feel like you're not alone. You have somebody yeah. you can connect with and resonate with. well, so, oh, I felt like that, I had that awkwardness. I've struggled with communicating or um, with in terms of relationships or, you know, knowing how to, knowing how to talk to women and knowing how to, you know, um, I, when I started, I didn't start dating till I was in my early thirties because I, I Mm. didn't know how to do it. Right. And I didn't know how to talk to women. I didn't know how to, how to build a relationship because I didn't know the rules. Right, um, I just saw my friends around it, and it just happened to them. That's how it perceived to me. Right, so
1: yeah, <laughs> so to
0: see a character like Mister Darcy, who who struggled with relationships and doesn't know how to talk to women, doesn't know how to you know how to read um, um, social cues and all of those kind of things, um, and have that be a really principal character in all of fiction is is really powerful, and we need these kind of characters um i think to have as not as role models but as um as people who we can find solidarity with um Mm, yeah uh, and learn from as well because it's like now like we've talked about there's so much of this character is (laughs) neurodivergent and it's it once you see it you can't unsee it and it changes the whole dynamic (laughs) of the story as well so yeah Mm -hmm. um And
1: points to the power of Jane Austen's writing. You know, she was so observant by by all accounts and she wrote such rich characters. And, you know, now we have more knowledge and understanding as to why she was clearly writing about people who were neurodivergent, writing about people who were having mental health crises. Because in my brain, now I'm thinking about some of her other stories like Emma and Sense and Sensibility, where you have characters who are, um, behaving in ways that are absolutely neurodivergent and are, you know, examples of someone undergoing a mental health crisis and, you know, they didn't have those labels in that language to use at the time, but now we do have that. And it's so comforting to be able to point back and say, yep, this isn't just a fad. <laughs> it's always existed. And we can tell because of these these behaviors and these things that we observe, and that's that's what we just did, which is which is really cool. Very Yeah, very
0: yes. cool. yeah. I'm glad we got to have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yes, um, me too.
0: Yeah. So, where can people connect with you, Sarah?
1: Um, I'm on Twitter. That's probably the easiest space to find me. My handle is um, the Serenade. Um, spelled S-A-R-A-H-N-A-D-E, kind of like lemonade, but serenade. <laughs> awesome. um, and I, I'm i not super active, but I'm always down for good conversation. And I tend to engage with a lot of people in the neurotypical, in, oh, sorry, neurodivergent. I'm, I'm having a moment today, <laughs> um, <laughs> but in, in, engaging in topics about neurodiversity and mental health social justice and a lot of deconstruction spaces too um i know we didn't end up talking about that in this conversation but uh i am someone who's undergone that process so that's something i talk about too so feel free to find me follow me um i'm hanging around for now <laughs> um we'll see what what twitter becomes in the in the days following um yeah mr musk's acquisition
0: <laughs> yes we're recording on the day after you know musk Took over Twitter. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: let's see what happens, eh? Um, yeah, but, from, uh, from what
1: I understand, it's not going to actually happen for a little bit. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging around for now. But yeah, if I go somewhere else, I'll I'll let people know.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic. Okay. Well, um, thanks for coming on the show. Um, and I'm uh, sure we'll have you back sometime, maybe to tell your story and talk about deconstruction and things. I think that would be a really good thing to do. But um,
1: yeah. That
0: would be fun. Yeah, um, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody.